You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. a common trait of the complainer. See, it's much easier to complain, to discredit, and be a backseat quarterback than it is to come alongside the leadership and say, hey, what can I do? What was that old saying? You're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. What can I do? How can I help? Instead of sitting back and sitting back there and going, you did this wrong. It's the same thing. Complainers really aren't fun to be around. They find something wrong with everything, clouding the general mood. As Pastor Dave teaches on the complaints Ephraim had against their leadership, let this cause you to consider your reactions to your leaders. Are you quick to find fault, or do you jump in and help out? Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Judges chapter 12 as he begins his message, Careful to Whom You Complain. Chapter 12 in the book of Judges. And I'm going to kind of step out of uh, some semi-norm. I like to do this every now and then, but when the chapter's small, I like to read it. So I'm going to read from verses 1 through 7 beforehand, okay? And then we'll go back and look at them and see what the Lord wants to speak to us, our hearts today about. So if you want to uh, find chapter 12, book of Judges, beginning in verse 1. Then the men of Ephraim gathered together, crossed over toward Zaphon, and said to Jephthah, Why did you cross over to fight against the people of Ammon and did not call us to go with you? We will burn your house down on you with fire. And Jephthah said to them, My people and I were in a great struggle with the people of Ammon. And when I called you, you did not deliver me out of their hands. So when I saw that you would not deliver me, I took my life in my hands and crossed over against the people of Ammon, and the Lord delivered them into my hand. Why then have you come up to be this day to fight against me? Now Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought against Ephraim. And the men of Gilead defeated Ephraim because they said, you Gileadites, are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassehites. The Gileadites seized the fords of the Jordan before the Ephraimites arrived. And when any Ephraimite who escaped said, let me cross over, the men of Gileads would say to him, are you an Ephraimite? And he would say, no. Then they would say, then say Shibboleth. And he would say Sibboleth, for he could not pronounce it right. Then they would take him and kill him at the fords of Jordan. There fell at that time 42,000 Ephraimites. And Jephthah judged Israel six years. Then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried among the cities of Gilead. So you can see what I've titled this, Be Careful to Whom You Complain. I I always struggle with what I'm going to name these messages. I don't even have to name them at all, but I like to name them. They're fun. But 
I guess my question was, have you ever known a chronic complainer? <laughs> you know the type, right? Uh, always have something to say and it's never positive. They're forever finding fault, especially after a great victory. After a great victory, they find fault. It should have been done this way, that way, every way except the way it was accomplished. And oh yeah, they would have loved to have been involved. Through scripture, the Lord takes a dim view of complaining. He takes a very, very dim view of complaining. In fact, the apostle Paul in Galatians 5 says that if they, meaning the Galatians, continued to bite and devour one another, they would be consumed. Not a happy thing. And we know in Numbers 21, verses 4 to 9, that because of the Israelites' complaints, the Lord sent serpents in response to the complaining people. A fiery serpent. And we know that anybody who was bit died until Moses went to the Lord and he asked the Lord what he should do. He intercessed on the people and the Lord told him to make a bronze serpent. Nehushtan, I think of brass or bronze. Nehushtan. And put it up in the camp. And whoever was bitten by that serpent, if they would look at the bronze serpent, they would be healed. If they did not, they would die. And this becomes very, very applicable to us because Jesus in the Gospel of John in John 3 uses this verse, these scriptures about Nehushtan, about the bronze serpent, the brass serpent, and says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so too the Son of Man will be lifted up. It's just like the bronze serpent. We look upon the cross. We look upon Christ hanging on the cross, and we believe, and we're healed of our sin. So you see the parallel, though. But God takes a very, very dim view. So I said all that to say, enter the Ephraimites. The Ephraimites. Or should I say, re-enter. How many of you remember chapter 8? After Gideon's great victory. After Gideon's great victory, the Ephraimites came around and basically did the same thing. They gave Gideon a hard time because he didn't include them in the battle. Although, Gideon did allow them to participate and basically come in and mop up after the end of the battle. Take care of the ones who were kind of hanging around. But they were angry at him. Why didn't you let us fight? Gideon also asked for their help. Gideon made the trumpet call to all Israel, and Ephraim never answered the trumpet. But yet they complained that they weren't involved. Instead of rejoicing in the great victory that happened by Gideon, they complained against their leader. Instead of enjoying the great victory that Jephthah, and the people of Gilead and the people who helped them had over the Ammonites, they complained. This is just like a complainer. Even though they're asked to join in, they refuse, but they still have an opinion that they want to give to you. And they complain, and they want to share in the victory. Usually they want to take some credit. And this is what Ephraim was doing to Jephthah. But in chapter 8, our buddy Gideon dealt differently than Jephthah does. Because Gideon is very diplomatic. And remember that talk he had with them, how he basically soothed the waters and calmed the, the storm by talking to them and explaining to them very diplomatically about things. 
And Ephraim was basically put in their place. Well, in chapter 12, it happens all over again. But this time against Jephthah. The Ephraimites come to Jephthah on the heels of his great victory over the Ammonites, and they complain about their lack of involvement in the battle. Look at verse 1. Then the men of Ephraim gathered together, crossed over towards Zephon, and said to Jephthah, Why did you cross over to fight against the people of Ammon, and did not call us to go with you? We will burn your house down on you with fire. Nice guys. So these guys come over the Jordan. They come up to Jephthah. They not only wanted him fired as judge, but they wanted to burn their house, his house down on top of him. I don't know why. Sometimes I stand up here and things come. It's like, wait a minute. I, don't, I get the feeling that Jephthah's sitting there like Rodney Dangerfield. You know, no respect. Hey, I'm the judge of Israel. I get no respect. Come on. They don't respect them. But, but this is the M.O., Modus operandi of a complainer. The complainer has no respect for anybody, but they have an answer for everything. But they don't want to get involved. And usually the complainer is usually a bigger problem than the problem itself, but he blames everybody, but he blames the leader the most. This is what we see happening. They're complaining. Let's look at verses 2 and 3 as we move on. And Jephthah said to them, my people and I were in a great struggle with the people of Ammon. And when I called you, you did not deliver me out of their hands. So when I saw that you would not deliver me, I took my life into my hands and crossed over against the people of Ammon. And the Lord delivered them into my hand. Why then have you come up to me this day to fight against me? Jephthah does explain that he called them for help. Hey, I called you guys. Where were you? You didn't come to help. Once again, they refused. Again, a common trait of the complainer. See, it's much easier to complain, to discredit, and be a backseat quarterback than it is to come alongside the leadership and say, hey, what can I do? What was that old saying? You're not part of the solution. You're part of the problem. You know, what can I do? How can I help? Instead of sitting back and sitting back there and going, hmm. You did this wrong. It's the same thing. The complainer usually has an ulterior motive. And in this instance, the ulterior motive was, hey, they wanted to be in charge. Ephraim wanted to be in charge. But Jephthah takes a whole different approach than Gideon does. The Ephraimites may have gotten away with this kind of stuff with Gideon because he was very diplomatic. He was mild-mannered. But what do we know about Jephthah? Jephthah was a tough cookie. He was a toughie. Remember, he was born of a harlot and they yelled and screamed and hollered at him and called him all kinds of names. So he went out and got a gang. He was the leader of the gang. I don't know if he was a shark or a jet, but he was the leader of a gang and he didn't take no guff. He was a tough cookie. So you weren't going to mess with Jephthah the way you got over on Gideon. Gideon was mild manner and that was the way Gideon worked. But Jephthah, that wasn't going to happen. So they came to Jephthah, throwing on him the same trip that they threw on Gideon years earlier. Years earlier. Look at verse 4a, 4a. Now Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought against Ephraim. (laughs) I'll show you. I like this guy. I like this guy. They're coming against him with all kinds of complaints, with all kinds of things. And he calls their bluff and said, hey, I'm coming against you. He calls a bluff on the complainer and says, I'm going to teach you a lesson. Basically, Jephthah is saying, hey, guys, let's get ready to rumble. We're going to take this to the mat. 
They're calling them names. Look, 4B. 4B. And the men of Gilead defeated Ephraim because they said, you Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among those from Manasseh. You notice I didn't try to say Manassehites. He said, they insult them. They throw insults at them by calling them fugitives. The word fugitive here carries the meaning of a renegade. It carries the meaning of a renegade. But they have a slight problem here. They have a slight problem. Most of you were here when we studied Joshua. Who gave Gad, Reuben, and half of Manasseh on the other side of the river their land? Who gave them their land? The Lord gave it to them. The Lord gave them their land. The Lord told Moses, they asked Moses. Moses went to the Lord and the Lord gave them their land. So may I ask, who were they fighting against? They were fighting against the Lord. They were fighting against the Lord. The Lord had given the land to these tribes through Moses and then to Joshua. So the Ephraimites, these complainers, were not insulting the Gideonites. They weren't taunting them or complaining against them. They were indeed complaining and taunting and tossing insults against the Lord. We already said at the beginning of our our study, not a good thing to do. Not a good thing to do, tossing insults against the Lord. It's never a good thing to do. The Ephraimites got what they deserved. They got a whooping. They got beat. And they headed home with their tails between their legs, but the battle wasn't over. Something takes place yet. Let's look at 5A. 5A. The Gideonites seized the fjords, fords or fjords, of the Jordan before the Ephraimites arrived. The Gideonites met the Ephraimites in the passages of Jordan. And they got there before them. They secured the Jordan. They secured it. They had it there. They had it under wraps and key. It was there. It was theirs. They devised the way that they could tell the difference between the Ephraimites and other people who may be crossing at that time. Let's look at the rest of verse 5. And when any Ephraimite who escaped said, let me cross over, the men of Gilead would say to him, are you an Ephraimite? And if he, and if he said no, then they would say to him, say, shib And he would say, Sibboleth. Then they would take him and kill him at the fords of Jordan. Shibboleth simply means ear of grain or flowing stream. But the word, for some reason, the tribe of Ephraim had a dialect problem. They had some sort of a dialect problem, and they couldn't say the H. So they ended up saying Sibboleth instead of Shibboleth. Well, this was telltale. You think this is far-fetched? I don't think it's far-fetched at all. For years, my mother said C-R-E-E-K, Crick. She didn't say Creek. She, she said the word P-E-C-A-N, Pekin. When I spent years in the South, I would say, excuse me, mother, it's pecan. And look at all the different dialects we have. Look at all the different dialects that we have in our country, let alone foreign languages that have been brought over with their different dialects. Bill was telling me about one in Italian, the different dialects that we have. I mean, 
I spent years in Texas. I spent years in Texas. And when I wanted a can of Coca-Cola, I said, can I have a pop? If I said soda, I got ice cream. Because if you said soda, you got an ice cream soda. But if I said pop, I got a can of pop. When I went to the grocery store, the very first time I was in Texas, I went to the grocery store and the lady was sitting there ready. She was ready to put my groceries into something. She looked at me and said, would you like me to put that in a sack? I went, uh, no, I was hoping for a bag. She pulled out a paper thing. I went, that's a bag. <laughs> no, she goes, that's a sack. See, dialects, dialects. Interesting thing now, a days, the word shibboleth is part of our language. In fact, on my computer, when I typed in the word shibboleth, spell check didn't underline it in red as being misspelled because it's a word in our dictionary. It's great. It means any kind of test to give outsiders to see if they really belong. Any kind of test to give outsiders to see if they belong. Oh, come on. Think of one. I'm going to think of one with you. I'm from South Philly. With you. Would you like your cheesesteak with or without? Here's one. World War II. How do I know that guy's a German? How do I know if that guy's a German in an American uniform? Hey, Joe, what do you know? Oh, just got back from the vaudeville show. That's how they determined if they were Germans or not. If they couldn't answer that, they thought that they might not be Americans. They might be Germans. They couldn't know because there were German people who would dress up in American uniforms and they would infiltrate the lines. And so they would say, hey, Joe, what do you know? And the you would come back, just got back from the vaudeville show. But anyhow, you get the point here. What did Christians do? Now, there's, there, tradition has it, tradition has it that if you wanted to know if someone was a Christian or not in the first century when it was illegal to be a Christian, tradition has it that in the sand you would draw half a fish. And if the person you were talking to drew the other half of the fish, you would know that you were talking to a Christian. Or another thing, tradition, we don't know if this is true or not, but this is just tradition. Another thing that happened is you would sit down and there would be a loaf of bread. How could I tell if you were a Christian? Break the bread. If you broke the bread, then that was a sign that you were a Christian. This is just all tradition and nothing. We can't make a doctrine out of it or anything like that, but it's just tradition. It says, there fell at the time 42,000 Ephraimites. 42,000 guys couldn't say Shibboleth. They said Sibboleth, and they were killed. 42,000. So verse 7 says, and Jephthah judged Israel six years. Then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried among the cities of Gilead. So this other judge now is done. Once again, Israel, you know, they went into the cycle that we've talked about so many times, the big D cycle. Disobedience, discipline, despair, and delivery. They had to go through the whole cycle again. But here we have now in verses 8 through 15, we have three more judges. Three more judges now come on the scene. They're called minor judges. 
simply because we really don't know anything about them except what's written here in Scripture. We have no idea what's about them except what's written here in Scripture. Let's read verses 8 through 15. After him, Ibzan of Bethlehem judged Israel. He had 30 sons, and he gave away 30 daughters in marriage and brought in 30 daughters from elsewhere for his sons. He judged Israel seven years. Then Ibzan died and was buried at Bethlehem. Anyhow, that's what we know about him. He is the 10th judge, by the way. He is the 10th judge to come along. He's from Bethlehem. Let's have a Bible quiz. What does Bethlehem mean? Good girl. House of bread. Ibsan's name means splendid. His name means splendid. And his claim to fame is he had 30 sons and 30 daughters. He sent the 30 daughters abroad to marry kings. And he took 30 daughters in for his own sons. That's a, I hope he had a good job. That's, that's pretty good. He judged Israel for seven years and he's buried in Bethlehem. It says in verse 11, after him, Elon, the Zebulonite, judged Israel. He judged Israel 10 years and Elon, the Zebulonite, died and was buried at Ajalon in the country of Zebulon. Hmm. Don't know anything about him, but his name means oak. His name means oak. He was from the tribe of Zebulon. It's interesting how all these judges are from different tribes. It's interesting how they all are from different tribes. He judged Israel for 10 years and then he was buried. The 12th judge was a guy named Abdon. His name means servitude. After him, Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Parathonite, judged Israel. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode on 70 young donkeys. He judged Israel eight years. Once again, he had to be a very, very wealthy man to have that many donkeys. Very, very wealthy man because any type of livestock was a sign of wealth. And you have that many. He was a very, very wealthy man. One commentator made a note that these judges had multiple children and we know nothing about them and contrasted them with Jephthah, who was a conquering hero in a nation, but he had no family. No family whatsoever. What I got from this and what we're learning from the book of Judges, I hope, is it's interesting who God chooses. You can't put any type of criteria. You can't come up with any kind of a list and stuff like that, that God chooses only this person. He chooses only that person. He chooses only this type of person. God chooses whomever God chooses because of his sovereignty. You are The Old Testament book of Judges that we've been studying with Pastor Dave Shank gives us a glimpse into the intriguing history of the nation of Israel. The continuous pattern we discover finds them following God, then turning away from Him, becoming aware of their sin, and finally repenting and stepping back into God's path. Each time, God brought a judge to lead them creatively back to Himself, showing His power and mercy time and time again. 
Israel's history is one we still see today. Many of us fall into the same cyclical relationship with God. We follow Him for a time, fall into sin, and need to be reminded of our errors. God is always faithful to forgive us, though, when we come to Him in repentance. His mercy is new every day and is big enough to cover every sin. We are so glad you tuned in today to Assure Hope. We hope you've been encouraged by what you heard. If you have any questions about this ministry or if you want to know more about the forgiveness God can offer you, please give us a call. Our phone number is 609-884-5821. We'd love to pray with you and we'll do our best to answer your questions. That phone number again is 609-884-5821. If you'd like to listen to more teachings from Assure Hope, just visit our website, assurehoperadio.com. Feel free to download and share Pastor Dave's teachings or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks for being a part of our time here today, and we hope you'll join us again on Assure Hope.